three-pointer by Pace. Good! Carly Pace from downtown. 74-64 Panthers. It's their biggest lead. Welcome to this week's episode of EIU Panthers Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. On our week seven edition of the show, we visit with former Eastern Illinois women's basketball player, Chantel Presley. At the time of her graduation, Presley had been a part of the most wins in a four-year span in program history. She parlayed that into a professional career playing overseas, and now has started a new chapter in her life in the real estate business. Before we visit with Chantel, we would like to thank our EIU Athletics Corporate Partner and Restaurant of the Week, Lifelinks in Mattoon, and Don Soule. Lifelinks is your connection to mental health and wellness. To request services, call 217-238-5700 and ask for the Access Center. Don Soul Mexican Grill is located at 230 Broadway Avenue East in Mattoon. Providing daily lunch and dinner specials, Don Soul Mexican Grill, put a little soul in your life. And Eastern Illinois Athletics News this week, the IU Panther Club has kicked off its virtual fundraising event the EIU Pandemic. This event will raise money to help support EIU's more than 500 student athletes. To see the exclusive items or to register for the event, visit eiupandemic.givesmart.com. Live bidding will take place the week of September 28th to October 3rd to coordinate with EIU's 125th homecoming anniversary. For the latest in EIU Panthers athletics news, visit us online at eiupanthers.com or follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Now for this week's EIU Panthers podcast with former Panther women's basketball player, Chantel Preston. Welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We're joined today by former EIU women's basketball player, Chantel Presley, and welcome to the show, Chantel. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me. And I, I will tell you, I was listening. Um, we're going to talk about a couple different things today. And I was listening. You're, you're very active on LinkedIn. And we'll, we'll talk about that as part of our show today. But I was listening to one of the videos you did. And it it still astounded me that you have a little bit of that Kentucky accent. And I would think that you might have lost that. The fact that you kind of lived overseas for about five or six, seven years playing basketball and I think in England for some reason in my mind I'm, I was thinking she's going to have a little bit of a, like one of those English accents when I'm listening to a video no some that Kentucky accent holds strong it don't let you go it lets you know it reminds you every day where you're from <laughs> <laughs> now we talk about that you're from Kentucky you're from Lexington you were one of a couple of players that at the time head coach Brady Salee who was the women's coach here at Eastern at the time he was from that area so he kind of knew some of the schools and recruited some of those players to kind of come over here to EIU and how did that relationship and if you could think back that far how did kind of that that recruiting pitch go to you to try to especially knowing that a school like EKU and a, and a few other um, OVC schools are in the state of Kentucky and we're probably on you as well. Well surprisingly you know I played in our regional um, high school tournament at EKU almost every year of my high school career. And I never got recruited by EKU, even though they were 45 minutes down the road from Lexington. Um, you know, you got Louisville, UK and Murray and all those schools in Kentucky, but I didn't get recruited by any schools in Kentucky. But I think what happened, my best AAU tournament performance was in a Nike showcase in Chicago. And after that, all the schools in Illinois really just kind of and Indiana kind of recruited me from that point forth. I think that was like my junior year. So that's kind of how that happened. 
So kind of um, to use a slogan that's in the, the business you're in now, like location, location, location. That was kind of what the key there for you for getting recruited to be a, a college basketball player. Definitely. Um, showing up at those big, those big showcases where there's going to be a lot of eyes on you and where you perform your best is pretty much where those coaches are going to recruit you. And Brady did mention that he was from Lexington, so he made that connection and talked about his parents still lived in Lexington. And when I came on my recruiting visit, I just really felt comfortable there at EIU. Um, the girls and the seniors and juniors and everyone were so great. When I came, I, I was like, I want to be a part of this family. Now, you always call that home. I went to, to undergrad at UK, so I know that Lexington always has a calling for people that have lived there at some point in time to go back. You lived around the world. We're, we're going to talk about that later in the program, playing professional basketball overseas. But now you've relocated back there to the Lexington area and kind of jumped into, and I think about a year now is what I saw, that, that you've now had your real estate license. And I think that's still a pretty hot market there, so a good business maybe to get into. Yep. So um, I was playing professionally in England. Um, COVID hit in March and I had to come back home mid-March because of that. But before I left, I knew I was going to probably retire at because I was going to be 30 at the end of this season. And I got my real estate license in October of 2019. So I had the license. It was on hold pretty much while I was playing basketball overseas. But once I came back because of COVID, I just got into it full swing and really really started learning about the market and working with clients and things like that. So it's been exciting. I'm enjoying the ride so far. Now for you, I, I know there are different types of real estate. There are the people that the ones that most people think about are what you see where you would buy a, buy a home from, but there also is some commercial real estate people. There's also people that primarily are, I guess they oversee rental properties and stuff like that. Do you do all of those or you kind of found a specialty that that's been your niche? Um, I really haven't found my niche yet. I've worked with mostly home buyers. I have, um, I really want to get some listings because that's where the market's at. You control your business when you get the listings. So that's anybody trying to sell their home in Lexington, call me. <laughs> but um, I have a couple of investors that are looking for commercial properties like um, apartment buildings and things like that. So those are also people who I've been working with. So that's on the commercial side, but mostly on the buyer side. Now, one of the things I know we talked about you active on on social media, LinkedIn in particular, that, that's probably a big resource for somebody like you trying to kind of get your feet wet in the market there. One of the things I thought was interesting that, that you've done is to not only promote yourself, but, you know, kind of network a little bit as you started these talks with Telly is what I would call them. What, what was the inspiration behind that and, and who are maybe one or two of the people that you've connected with that, that, you know, thought had some stories that really kind of caught your attention? Um, I started talk with talks with Telly a few years back. Um, I really just wanted to interview people and get their stories out. So, I mean, this has been something I've been doing for a while, but now to relate that to real estate, um, I'm really trying to build a network of people like my broker, a mortgage lender. I spoke with a wholesaler. Um, I've spoke with a home, uh, another real estate agent, um, Kayla Price, she went to EIU and she's in Chicago. So just talking to her about the market in Chicago and just really trying to learn and pick up information myself, things that I don't know, but it also informs people who might not know a lot about real estate and the whole industry. So that's been pretty cool. Now you, you jump into that, you, you touched briefly that you were kind of playing professionally overseas. And I, I will tell people, if you hear a basketball bouncing in the background, Chantel is actually out in Oklahoma right now, um, helping do some lessons out there. So she's 
gracious enough to take the time while she's at the gym in between workouts. So it's not something on your audio if you if you hear that in the background and, and need to adjust your set. So staying around basketball, you, you play here at Eastern, and we're going to talk about your EIU career, but you get an opportunity to go play overseas. And I think you almost played primarily in, primarily in England, if I'm correct. So I played um, three seasons in England. I played in Germany. I played in Spain and Italy. And then I got a chance to play in the Commonwealth Games that were in Australia. And that was with Team England for, uh, in 2018, we actually got a chance to win a silver medal. So that was probably my peak uh, basketball experience of my life. Okay. So how does that work then? And I guess, cause I, I, I did look on there and for people that aren't familiar with maybe how basketball overseas works is, is teams can have a XM number of what they call foreigners who are usually almost always players from the United States. And then they could also have nationals, which are usually either players from that country or in, in some cases, European born players. I think you were able to count as a, a European born player, if I'm not mistaken. How, how did that happen? Were you either born there or your mom or dad are, are from England? Yep. So my mother is British. I was born in England okay. and my dad was in the military stationed in Ipswich, England when my parents met. And that's so I, I didn't have a British passport until 2014. I wound up applying for it and I was able to get um, dual citizenship. So that really worked out in my favor. And so that, that actually then, like you said, that, that ends up being a lot of times, like we talked about, they can only take so many American players. And so sometimes I don't want to call it a loophole, but it benefited you that a loophole like this, you didn't count against their American cap and you could count more on their, their European or their English born cap. Yep, absolutely. Um, that, that really benefited the team that I played for in England because in actuality there was, you're allowed two Americans. So we had two Americans and then there was myself and my coach's daughter who was American, but had a British passport. So really like had four Americans. And then we also had a girl from Hungary and a girl from, um, I think Slovakia. So we had a lot of just, I mean, our team was loaded and we wound up winning the championship. So, I mean, it did work out in our favor. Now you were able to play overseas. You talked about you played for Team England. They went and played in like the Commonwealth Games. I'm guessing that's a every maybe nation that at some point in time was a part of the British Empire kind of kind of plays yep. in that. And um, do, is that the Team England? Is that was that tournament maybe a precursor for the Olympics, or are those kind of separate from each other? They're separate from each other. So you hit the nail on the head with the um, British colonized countries. So um, Team. Teams like Australia, Canada, um, Scotland, Wales, England, um, some um, countries in Africa and New Zealand, those kind of countries were, I think, 79 countries that were oh, wow. India. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> so so um, okay. it, was, it was cool. I was going to say we got to play um, against some top ranked teams. So Canada was ranked like fifth in the world and Australia was ranked up there like fourth in the world so we got a chance to compete against those teams and nobody thought we were going to win as we were ranked like 25th in the world and we wind up um, beating Canada and playing Australia in the gold medal round and that was an amazing experience so we got that silver medal. So does being on that team does that give you any opportunity to maybe be in their Olympic pool or is that do you think that you're maybe retired from that or would that that be maybe the the ultimate calling to go back to hoops? So I 
my the reason why I got my British passport in 2014 was for the opportunity to play for the for Team GB, which is um, the national team that would compete in the Olympics. Okay. So I've had an opportunity. I've done multiple camps with them in the summer. Um, I would say for like a month, and then right before the final roster of 12, like I got cut at like 14 or 13. So that happened. But then finally in 2000 and 18 in November, I was on the pre-qualifying Olympic um, team, and we we wound up qualifying for Eurobasket, which just happened um, last summer. And then I got the call, and he told me, my coach was like, oh, we're not going to take you to um, Eurobasket, which was the most disappointing news I had had, because, you know, to be on the team that qualified to get there, and then get told that you're not going to be on the team that's actually going to play in the pre-qualifying Olympic Games. And then they wind up, um, they lost um, in pool play. And I think if they would have scored three points and won this one game, you know, they've been going to the Olympics, but it just didn't happen. I'm sure you're telling yourself the whole time that had you had me on the team, we would have been in the Olympics. You know, that thought has crossed my mind so many times, but I mean, I, I feel like that's not the humble thing to say. Yeah. And that's just not, you know, because it's, it's the coach's decision ultimately. And, you know, they got to go with who they think is best. And he obviously didn't think it was me. And I still wanted them to go. I mean, I, I was, you know, these are people I've worked out with for so long. Yeah. I, I really wanted them to go. And just to say, if they did make it, that wasn't, I still had an opportunity to make that Olympic qualifying team. So I was, I was disappointed. Now, you've been able to play overseas. You mentioned a couple of different places in Spain and Germany and England. What's maybe been some of the, the things that, from those experiences you've been able to take away? I'm, I'm guessing been able to do a little bit of travel and maybe see some, some sites that the average person doesn't ever get to see. Um, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, going to Germany, I was in Halle, and that's in eastern Germany. So it was kind of like going into a different world completely because – there's not it wasn't a lot of uh I guess minorities there and I feel like I kind of look like a complete alien to those people being that they're a little smaller and older population and um that was really interesting but I mean people there were really friendly it was just they just looked like oh Americans are here what are you doing in this little town but um we got a chance to go to Berlin and um traveled all around around the country to play games so we would see a lot of sites but I, I think I did most sightseeing in probably France I went to visit a castle or a chateau as they say every Sunday because we played on Saturday and then we'd always have Sunday off so we traveled around the country saw some beautiful castles and ate some really good food and I really like um Spain the weather was amazing you go to the beach on your days off and I was like I mean who, who doesn't love that yeah. <laughs> And then some of those things that you're going to miss, you got to do those. What, what are maybe one or two of the things that you miss from over there? I would say maybe some of the food from, from would be one of the things that, that probably you miss most when you eat entirely differently in Europe than you do here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the food, I mean, it's more, it's probably a little healthier there. I mean, that's, that's probably an easy thing to say. Uh, every, the portion sizes are a lot smaller and the food's a lot healthier. Um, I noticed I cooked a lot while I was over there and the groceries were not as expensive as they are here. So you go to the store and you get strawberries in the U.S. compared to getting strawberries in Europe. You're paying so much more in the U.S. And I'm not really sure why that is, but it's just the way it is. 
enough. I can understand that. So before you went over there, you kind of were able to, to I guess, get your basketball fix here at Eastern. That's where people kind of know you at. That's why we have you here as a, a guest on the, the IU Panthers podcast. Played kind of during what I would call the one of the heydays of EIU women's basketball from 2009 to 2012. Success all, all four years that you were here. Went to, to three postseason tournaments, twice to the women's NIT. What do you maybe remember about some of those experiences so much from and how the program kind of grew from when you were a freshman until when you left when you were a senior? Um, I was fortunate to come into Eastern right at the peak of them making that change from a good team to a great team. So when I got there, there were five juniors and there were five seniors. So I kind of came into a senior and um, a well-led team that already had established what they wanted to accomplish. So, you know, Rachel Galligan was on the team and she was, you know, the All-American um, post player and it was, you know it's, it's easy to play with somebody like that where you can just throw the ball and you know they're going to score it every time but um, I mean it was a great experience when that class came in after me um, Kelsey Wiz, Mariah King, um, Sydney Mitchell, Sakenya Nixon, um, Morgan Polambizio like that group really changed the game for EIU in my opinion like that that was the class that really got them over the hump to allow us to win some of those um regular season championships as well. That you knew everybody in the recruiting class. I'm sure the people that listen here, especially those those ladies will be happy that you remembered their names and that, that, that sometimes when the younger kids come in, you may not remember them because they're going to try to battle to take your spots on the floor. Well, you know what's interesting about that? All those ladies that I just named, we, all, we were all just together. Um, like a couple weeks ago it was okay. Kenya Nixon's 30th birthday so we all went to her house um in Kansas City Missouri she's a chiropractor now and I knew she just know. got that yep so uh, it was it was fun I, it was great to catch up the the last time we had all been together prior to that was actually at Kenya's wedding so we were all bridesmaids I think Jordan Crunk and um Taryn Olson Deanna Elise I mean it was just and Brady was there Rachel Quasi it was, it was a a family reunion from EIU for sure. Now you go through and, and you had a, had a, a good career, kind of played a, a couple different roles on, on those different teams over the course of your career, finished with about 800 points, about 600 rebounds, sixth in career blocks at Eastern. So just by those numbers, you could kind of see what a versatile player you were statistically. How do you view yourself as a player when you were here at Eastern? Well, I, it's funny that you said I literally just talked to these girls here um, at the school who I'm helping coach right now um, and told them, like, when I was at Eastern, I was the I was the fifth option. You know, I was not the scorer on the team. I was like, I was the, the rebounder, the good defensive player. I was the person that was going to set a great screen. So I, I was like, that's not necessarily what I wanted to be, but that's what I was kind of asked to be. And I was like, I was going to do it to the best of my ability. But it really changed for me once I became a professional. And they were like, you need to be the leading scorer. You're our foreign player, and we're paying you to score points. So that was a transition that I had to make. So, I mean, but that was a fun transition because everybody loves to score. So now that I'm, like, being called on to make shots and be the one that they're going to to win games, it's a, it's a completely different um, role than what I had at EIU. Now you – um, 
because I look it up, I get to cheat a little bit here and look at some of the, the things to have, have some research when, when we do these, these podcasts. Career high was 18 points and a home win against Missouri. I remember that win. Would, would that be one of the, the one game you remember from your time at Eastern because that was your career high in points or is there a different game that, that comes to mind as the best game that you were part of? Um, I would definitely say that Mizzou game was probably number one in, in my eyes um, as far as when I was playing, just because it was such a big school and we were the underdogs. It was a home game and to come out with that win and have such a great, um, great night. I mean, I remember that. Um, but there, my memory is long and, you know, I remember, believe it or not, I remember details of games that, I remember who set the screen and who won the shot and how it went down. I remember all those details. I mean, the EIU game day memories are, I mean, the battles that we had with even my freshman year against Murray State. Like, I remember those games going into overtime. I remember the losses. I remember my very first game as a Panther. I didn't play. And I know this is terrible, but there was a recruit there, and Brady didn't play me, and I felt like I had worked so hard during the preseason, but I didn't touch the floor. I saw the recruit as I was walking out of the gym mad, and I said, don't come here, and I walked out. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, I can't believe it, but I think that might have been the only game I, I just I didn't play. So, I mean, I don't know. That was I remember all the details of the EIU days. It's interesting to remember that at the time when you graduated and some of the girls that followed you because they had another successful, really successful year of the year after you left, when you left, you were – the player that had been the part of the most wins at EIU at the time, I think the, the girls you mentioned earlier, the Kenya Nixon, the Mariah King, Sydney Mitchell, Kelsey Wisses, I think that class ended up surpassing that number. It's interesting that you remember all those things. And, and I was the graduate assistant. Yes. I was their coach. <laughs> okay, so you get credit for those two then, right? I got a ring. I got a ring. When they <laughs> won, I won. <laughs> no, that, that's a good part there. But that, you talk about the graduate assistant and what I was going to go kind of talk about. You, you were telling the girls, you're coaching there, helping that. You're, I know the real estate is kind of where you're going to go, where you'd probably be able to make, make a living. But the coaching, it sounds like, is a little bit in your blood. And I, and I think when I looked on your page, you were able to coach a little bit when you were playing overseas as well. Mm-hmm. That was um, the way – the reason why – it's like with overseas basketball for me, it was like I loved it. It was something I enjoyed. I got to coach. I got to referee. I had a lot of experiences in basketball. I got to run some of my own like skills training sessions. So I, I did a lot in the basketball world there. But if financially, I'm like, if I just sell one or two houses, I can surpass my income just like that. So for me, it's like real estate is a way to gain a lot of income in a short amount of time whereas I'm doing something with basketball that physically might not be able to last forever as a player but there are things that I'll still do um now just because I love it so money wise on the real estate side but the love of the game is always going to be there so I always have a something going on with basketball I know basketball is a passion but I think you have some other passions as well and, and part of those are, are working giving back to people giving back to the communities Saw that you're you're part of a nonprofit there. It's called Eastern Avenue for for sober living. It, it's a, a system that helps people kind of get over addiction. How did you maybe get involved in that? And kind of what has that meant to you to kind of be able to help give back to to people in that manner? Well, um, Eastern Avenue sober living is our family's kind of baby because my father owned and my mother owned the property as a rental property, and then back in 
2017 is when the transition kind of happened into turning it into a sober living home for women. Okay. And we opened the doors in September of 2018 and it has really been a great journey. So many women have come through the doors. We can, we can host or house 11 women at a time. And, you know, a lot of women are like, you know, this place really saved my life. So people, you know, once they complete a 30 day um, treatment of, you know, detox kind of rehab, then they need somewhere to stay where there's rules and some structure that they might not have had in their life. And, you know, they continue to go to their meetings and get counseling. We provide them with different resources, teach them how to use public transportation, treat, teach them about healthy eating and exercise and just whatever we can do to really help them get a job. Just, it's, it's, been, it's been great. Now, I always try to end these up. We're going to wrap up here just in a minute or two, just with some, some fun things you talked about. You were overseas when the COVID hit. I guess how difficult were you able to kind of get back pretty quickly beforehand? Or are you one of the people that got stuck kind of in place and, and had to take a, an around-the-way journey to get back to home? Well, interesting story with the COVID thing. Uh, my family was really telling me, like, can't tell this thing is getting serious and they're shutting down borders over here and you need to get back. But my coaching staff in England really had high hopes that they they didn't think it was as serious as it was. They kept saying, oh, it's just like the flu. It's not a big deal. People get sick all the time. So they were trying to hold out. And the league itself was one of the last leagues in the world to say, all right, we're going to shut it down. So when everything else is shut down, there was still a tournament that was going on that weekend. And our coach was like, okay, let's just wait and see what they say. I wind up buying my own plane ticket and telling my coach, like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving on Tuesday. It was like a day turnaround, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. And then I think maybe a couple of days later, then finally the league had called it. But I had already made it back to the U.S. at the time. But some of my teammates that were there in American, it took them an extra week to get back home. And I, was, I didn't want to take that risk. So I wind up, that's like I said, I just bought my own plane ticket and, and got out of there. Yeah, we, I've heard some similar stories on as our, you know, our, our international students were trying to go home from here when, when the university shut down. And then some of them on some of their journeys they've had to make to try to get back to the U.S. for to play sports this semester. So that, that's an interesting, you know, story you, you talk about there. So during the quarantine, everybody kind of looks for things to, to do to keep themselves busy. What was a maybe a hobby or, or something or an interest that that you hadn't done before that you picked up that during the spare time that you might have had? A couple things that I've done during quarantine. I started walking with my mom and my mom wound up losing 25 pounds during the quarantine. So that was, that was great. Um, I started painting. So I've, done, I've painted a lot of different things. Uh, that's been my creative side. And then a Bible study group via Zoom. And we started doing that Bible study group um, two to three times a week and we got about 18 people that would come on and off and that was that definitely kept everybody's spirits alive because there was a lot of people that were you know having family members with COVID and people were passing away and it, it was getting kind of sad so we needed to have that little higher power meeting about you know things are going to get better. Now you've, you've, you've been able to travel around the world live around the world playing professional hoops been very fortunate with that dream vacation that Chantel Presley would, would like to take now that she, she knows kind of what the world has out there for? Um, my dream vacation is actually to go to um, 
Tokyo. I really want to go to Japan. I haven't done a lot of Asian countries. I've done a lot of European countries. I've done the tropical vacations and, you know, even going to Australia, but never really got a chance to do any of the, the Asian countries. So Japan is kind of up there with the high technology and it just seems like a really cool city. And I've heard great things about it. So once all this uh, COVID passes, maybe I have to give it an extra year or two to make sure it's really gone. <laughs> and then I'm gonna get a chance to get out there. Very good. Well, it was good catching up with you, Chantel. Best of luck on, on the coaching there and best of luck on, on the real estate there. Um, if people want to get in touch with Chantel, she's in the Lexington area. It's Presley Realtors, if I'm not mistaken, that I'll let you give your own plug here for how people may get in touch with you if you're in the, the Lexington area to get in the real estate market. Um, if you go on Google, you can find me at um, Presley Properties, LLC. It has my website on there, my contact information, and then all my social media is on there as well. I appreciate it, Chantel. It was great catching up with you, talking about some of the things that you've been up to since you, you left us here at Eastern. And good luck coaching there today with the team. I think you're out in Oklahoma, if you're not, not mistaken. Yep, Northeast State. Uh, it's a division two school but I'm telling you the facilities are so nice here I was like I didn't even know division two facilities could be this nice <laughs> very good like I said once again thank you for joining us Chantel and have a great weekend thank you Rich I appreciate your time thank you <laughs>